This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode number 72. What did Jesus pray for? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Welcome to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric. Glad you could join us here at That's in the Bible, a podcast that we talk about, I think, astounding topics that are found in the Bible that maybe some of these you haven't even thought about or have thought about and didn't have an answer for. And so we're going to take a look at some more of these topics as we continue on. But today is number 72, and Pastor Steve will be bringing us What Did Jesus Pray For? And Pastor Steve, how are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. How's the weather there in uh, beautiful, uh, let's see, where, where exactly are you? I'm in West Seneca. How's the weather Buffalo. in beautiful Buffalo, <laughs> West Seneca, New York? Uh, it is sunny, hazy, muggy, and hot. <laughs> and I was a wet dish rag. All day today at work. <laughs> <laughs> Just think, in, we'll, a few, in a few months, it'll be a whole different forecast. We'll, yes, we'll yeah. take this over that. Yeah. Oh, there we go. We've got a conflict now. Yeah. According to Eric. <laughs> yeah. Because I'd rather see the snow. <laughs> I did. I told Steve before the, the podcast started, I'm like, I, I've had enough of this heat. It's one of the wow. reasons we live up here is we like the cold. <laughs> not getting, I'm not getting any support on that. I can say nobody's nobody's jumping in. I don't mind. I like the four seasons, but uh, uh, I just think it's funny. That's all. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I, before I moved back up north, I, I didn't live in this part, but I grew up in Illinois. But before I moved back up north, that's exactly what I said. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see the four seasons. As over 30 years ago, I don't look forward to it as much anymore. <laughs> And that's Pastor Strobel admitting that he is getting old. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? Our blood gets thinner and uh, our skin gets like parchment and we can't stand the, uh, can't stand the cold. No, you just deal with it. You yeah. don't necessarily yeah, like it. Amen. But I, I, I agree with Steve, too. I like the four seasons. Uh, especially fall, I think, might be my favorite. Something about... Uh, the 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 crisp air the the autumn air, I think it's great. And this year, because um, I'm retired, if it snows ten feet, I'm fine with that. I don't have to leave the house. <laughs> so I'm good to go. Well, I tell you this: I don't know if you guys can uh, vouch for this or not, but over the years, it just seems as though spring is a blip, and fall is kind of uh, another blip. And all we have is summer and winter. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Kind of, kind of. Everything else seems to be really short now, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, this spring was really short. Um, we didn't have hardly any transition time at all, and uh, it was just all of a sudden it got warm and and uh, dry, and and that was it. So. So are you are you proposing global warming? Is that what you're saying? Steve? I am not. I'm just saying we're going through a cycle. And uh, we always go through those cycles, and they're normal. And if you look in the history of 
and I don't know the correct term, but uh, of weather data, you'll probably find back in the 50s, it was very similar today. And, and probably if they go back further, you'll probably find another streak that was very similar to the day and age that we're in right now. So just normal. Well, it's God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to give my position on global warming. Here we go. It up. I'm for it. <laughs> You're for it. <laughs> So, what exactly does that mean, though? You 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 want the uh, you want it to be ninety degrees around the globe? Ask me again in in January, February, and <laughs> I won't even have to answer. <laughs> I thought he was waiting for a, a fervent heat. <laughs> uh-huh. That's some serious. Truth of the matter is, this whole Earth's going to end up with global warming because it's yes, it is. Yes, with it that is. fervent heat you talked about. What about the? Uh, wait, but wait a minute here, guys. What about the Save the Planet movement? I. I Aren't you on board with that? They, you know, they can treat it nice, and I'm, I'm, I'm not for being stupid, but you know, uh, they can work all they want to save it. In in one thousand and seven years plus, however long it takes for the rapture to come, uh, yes. this place is going to blow. <laughs> yes, it is. Hmm. But it's got at least a thousand and seven years left. And, and you know what? There's going to be a big bang when that happens too. <laughs> That's so. Right. so Steve believes in the big bang theory. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Post, not pre. <laughs> <laughs> we got to add a new line, line to our doctrinal statement. Are you post or pre Big Bang? <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, I have to, I have to put some of these tenets down on the. Uh, that's on the Bible uh, website. <laughs> yeah, our doctoral position here. <laughs> right. We're uh, post Big Bang. <laughs> we believe in global warming. <laughs> Uh, we have biblical authority for that. That's true. Second Peter chapter three, in case anybody's wondering where this is. Yeah, from. amen. Man. So, well, let's. Uh, Matt's not here today. Matt uh, Sutton, who is normally joining us, is um, working on a shed or building a cabin or doing something there at the the youth camp that they're building up in the uh, on the Arctic Arctic slope there, the North Slope. I'm glad he's again learning all these these handy skills because when he comes home for a visit, I've got a shed that needs a little work so he can, Amen. he can, he can show me how it's done. He's probably in remedial training. So, uh, when he went up there, he didn't know too much. So you're saying be careful. Uh, well, no, I just, uh, while he's away, I've, I've got to get at him <laughs> and say something. So I'm sure he's expecting that too, isn't he? <laughs> He's, he's probably, you know, when he says, I can't make it today, that's probably in the back of his mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Pastor Steve, what, what is happening? What's going on there in uh, beautiful uh, Buffalo? Well, um, I've t- over the uh, few weeks here that we've been away, um, I know that Pastor Strobel and I were at one meeting there in Toledo, uh, pastor's school, and uh, uh, had some real good instruction uh, through the classes that we'd have in the morning and then had some good preaching in the evening, uh, two preachers each evening, and then uh, at least three, I think four, uh, uh, sessions during the morning. And uh, I had some really good uh, topics that were covered and some really good preaching. Uh, a fella, I, I hadn't been affected like that in a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, especially for the uh, Thursday night uh, uh, meeting uh, uh, in church, 
uh, fellow, I believe his first name is Ken, Ken Bates. I believe he's pastoring now in Colorado and he's not, uh, not, uh, a, a normal preacher for today. He's uh, very, uh, uh, very much a wordsmith and, uh, uh, in fact, reads a lot of, of what he's written down. Uh, but he preached a message on Aaron's rod, a uh, dead dry stick that just, I mean, just laid me low and uh, uh, had me in, in tears and just weeping and, and uh, was a good thing for me and, and uh, really was a blessing uh, to be there and uh, have the fellowship with some other fellows. I'll, I'll let Pastor Strobel talk about another fellow uh, that we met, uh, an old acquaintance of his, but it was a, a good meeting for me in, in, in another sense. I'm sure he could probably explain that a little bit better. But uh, uh, here last week, I was in Delaware uh, at uh, uh, Faith Baptist Church uh, in Smyrna, Delaware. Uh, they come up every year for the uh, youth rally up in, in February uh, up in Rochester, Youth Ablaze. And uh, they have a revival meeting at this time. And uh, just coincidence that, that uh, two of the fellows that he has come up there and preach for him uh, one in Arkansas and the other in Texas were fellows that I happened to go to Bible school with. Uh, well, Thirty, how long has it been? Uh, Forty years ago. Forty years ago, and I hadn't seen them since, and so got a chance to go back and be with them, and uh, uh, reconnect with them, and just had some really good fellowship there uh, with them. It was funny. I, I got there on Monday. Uh, they, they start and go from Sunday to Sunday, and I got there Monday afternoon, and, and uh, they're in time for the Monday evening service, and uh, got a little bit of a chance to, to connect with Brother Ryman there before the, meet, before the meeting started, and so I'm sitting back in the back, kind of off by myself, and, and uh, he asked me to come up, up forward and, and kind of let people know what, what, uh, what we're doing up here in Buffalo and so forth, so I gave a testimony, and kind of abbreviated some things there and, and I'm getting ready to step down. He said, by the way, off the cuff, can you sing something for us? <laughs> <laughs> so I laughed just like that and, and, uh, and sang and, and, uh, uh, sang the 90 and nine. And then, uh, on Amen. Thursday night before I left, uh, uh, sang, uh, uh, uh oh, come on. How deep the father's love. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him that it's been a long time since I've really sung a solo. I normally sing with the with the boys and stuff like that, but um, it was uh, it was a good time just to be able to get up there and, and do that. I also got to shoot a fifty caliber uh, rifle. Wow, uh, a big big gun, and I, I turned it down several times. They had a lot of uh, place out there where they set up a, a big uh, range, and and uh, we were off about a hundred yards off and. They had all kinds of guns out there, and I turned it down several times because I just, you know, I'm not that big a frame, and and uh, they could uh, blow my arm off with something like that. <laughs> and then finally, one of the fellows there, one of the brothers, he says, "Brother Bear, we're getting ready to leave, and you're going to kick yourself if you never shoot it." So mm-hmm. I says, "I'll show you how to shoot it." So he he got me all set up and so forth, and that thing probably moved me back probably about six inches, but I was braced well enough where I the I went with the gun as it recoiled and wasn't that bad. It was only, um, I'd say an inch off of where I had aimed. So it was, uh, it was pretty good, but 
man, I tell you what a, what a gun. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's amazing. It was quite a gun. Uh, just to finish this off, I was on my way home and on the way home, I, uh, God protected me from two accidents with hmm. fire. Uh, oh. one was on 95 and the other was on 86, just outside of Binghamton. Both accidents, uh, had raging fire and the fire department was there and, wow. and, uh, obviously the delay in trying to get through, but, but, uh, thankfully for the Lord's protection. So it's been a blessing. So it's Amen. been an active two, two or three weeks. So, so are you glad, are you glad you shot the 50 cal? I, I am, I am. Yeah. I really am. That, that shell on that 50 caliber is just, I mean, I've got a 30 out six and it dwarfs the 30. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah. a lot of fun. It's amazing. Uh, I shot a 50 caliber machine gun while I was in the, in the army, just uh, to, just at the range. And it was pretty amazing what he can do. I just, and the, the cool thing about, I mean, I'm not, I don't even own any, any weapons or, you know, firearms at this point, but I enjoyed the going to the range, especially when we would go at night. Did you guys do this? We went, we would go at night and you'd shoot all like, there'd be a whole line of us on the firing line. We sh- shot all the tracers. You're shooting all those tracers. It was like psychedelic. Yeah. It was really cool. Oh. No, uh, we we did our uh, uh, firearms training with a 22 uh, on our, in an indoor range, and then when I was on the ship, we shot shot some M14s trying to to uh, uh, sink some drums that were out there for testing the 50 cals that cool. they had that the bosun made shot. But um, that's all we did for as far mm-hmm. as uh, the Navy was concerned. Pretty neat. And Pastor Strobel. Yes. Um, regarding the pastor school in Toledo, Ohio, Hope Baptist Church, it was definitely a real blessing. The mm-hmm. sessions in the morning were packed with good things and the messages in the evening as well. And I'm going to um, send a link to you, Brother Eric, mm-hmm. and, and this will take, if we put this on the uh, website, it'll take people to uh, what they call the land page for uh, pastor school and it has a number of the sessions online so awesome. the way um what i want to point out is there's a there's a lot of goes i'll tell you the names of some of them but the one the man that we ran into that brother steve was talking about is jim alter and jim um i met him in bible college i i had kind of an interesting well-rounded bible school education i got saved in <laughs> april of 1980 uh, in September, reluctantly, I wound up going off to Bible school. I say reluctantly because I just really wasn't interested, but the Lord was kind of hemming me in, and, and then I got interested in it. And that was at Fellowship Baptist College in East Peoria, Illinois. Um, I had looked into going to Hiles, but it was too late to get in there. The next year, I did go to Hiles, and I had a year there. That's where I met uh, Jim Alter. After Hiles, I left and went to uh, work out at Brother Roloff's for about eight months. And from there, I left to come back to Illinois to meet up with a friend of mine who was going to be going to Montana to start a church. And so I went out there and spent about four months out there before going to PBI and uh, finishing up school. So anyway, that's my well-rounded education. <laughs> but I met met Brother Alter um, at Hiles and the year that I was there and had talked with him oh, a couple times, two or three times, and met with him uh, at least once um, in between there, but I found out that he actually used to be at our church. He spent his senior year here of high school here um, and was a part of our church before I got here. And he actually led uh, Brother Tim Pratt to the Lord. 
And um, anyway, he is, he's really sharp when it comes to history. He has co-authored a book on Baptist history called Why Baptist? And he's just, he's, he, he's a reader and he absorbs things and he can put it out like a good teacher can with um, excitement and, and great application. So he did a morning session here on the mindset of the 21st century American. And in that session there, he took history dealing with um, philosophers as well as with the uh, origin of um, manuscript evidence infamy and showed how the, a lot of the philosophies that they were promoting then have now been incorporated into the mindset of the 21st century uh, American. In other words, people are coming up with this stuff thinking, okay, well, you know, this is, this is new and it's just the old stuff. But it's very, very interesting. If you go to that landing page, you'll notice if you look on the bottom, there'll be a one and a two. So there's two pages of things. And even on the side, there's a scroll bar. So you can't immediately see everything on there. But if you go to page number two, and then you start looking at the top, at least the way it is on my screen, um, his is right there at the bottom. If you start scrolling, it's probably in about the middle, but uh, called the Mindset of 21st Century American, uh, Jim Alter. And there's also, they also recorded some of the ladies' sessions, which Brother Steve and I did not attend <laughs> and yep. have not heard. <laughs> <laughs> but for ladies, any ladies listening, you might find that to be a blessing. But you had um, messages in the morning uh, like uh, Missed Opportunities by Jonathan Marshall, Standing for the Gospel. Or Jonathan, that might have actually been the evening session. I'm not sure. Yes. Uh, Standing yes. for the Gospel by Pastor Jason Murphy. Um, Finding Where to Stand, Joel Greer. Um, a message by Sam Gipps. I think they do have the evening ones in here, Five Things Your Church Needs. Brother Gipp also did a good session in the morning. Um, Noah, Daniel, and Job, um, which is interesting. I've actually preached a message on Noah, Daniel, and Job. It's a good subject. Maybe I'll do it sometime here. Mm. The Lord leads. But um, there's a lot of lot of good stuff. And so if you'd like to take that in, Brother DeMichael talked about standing in adversity. Um, the message that Steve was referenced, referencing, what is in thine hand, is on here mm, good. Uh, as well. So you, know, you might find a lot of good stuff on folks to look at. So let me just say this, as far as what's going on now, we're preparing at our church for a uh, revival meeting. I call it the last days uh, of summer revival meeting by putting in of summer in parentheses, because we're kind of in the last days as well, as far as we can tell, <laughs> yeah. last days of the church age. And uh, we're having uh, three guys come in, uh, evangelist Mark McGahey, who was a classmate of mine at PBI and has been doing evangelism for many years now. Um, Brother Andrew Soche, he pastored in New Orleans uh, for a good number of years and of late has been in evangelism. He's going to be with us on uh, a couple nights and then another couple nights we have one of the missionaries that I that our church supports, um, Brother Brian Gerard, who's been in New Guinea and Papua, New Britain Island. And uh, he's we've had him in to speak before. He always does a good job. So I don't know if Anybody that's listening to this will, is in our area or, or will get the podcast before the meetings start, but it's running September 2nd through 5th, which is a Sunday through a Wednesday. The um, Sunday services are the same time as our regular Sunday services, evening service being at 630. 
then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, all the evening services will be at 7 p.m. So if you are around, we'd invite you to stop in and join us. Amen. Amen. And I'll have those links up on the uh, on our <clears throat> on our website for that's on the Bible. So all those the links that Pastor Strobel was referring to, I know I want to check those messages out as well. So we'll have those up, and I'll, I should be able to get those up tonight. Uh, tomorrow morning, though, should be good to go. So should be plenty of time if folks wanted to come out to the church there in Lockport. Let's see. Um, my wife and I were planning to head down to Lancaster. We're leaving Thursday. We're going to go to the Sight and Sound um, Amen. theater. Have you guys been to any of that? I have not yet. We've wanted to go and Almost have gone a couple times, but have not made it there yet. I have well, at least one of my uh, sons, a couple of my sons have, have been there. My first thought when I heard about it was, nah, I don't think I want to go. <laughs> and only because I thought, you know, it's, it's, it'll probably be some, you know, modernistic version that, you know, I just might want to enjoy. But I've actually been to two productions there. And uh, let's see, one was Moses and the other was Jonah. And I thought they were really amazingly well done. I mean, they have like, also these are like plays, you know, stage productions, but they have like animals, like camels going up and down the aisles and birds flying across the stage. And just, you know, it's really quite immersive. And so we're going to see uh, their, their production of Jesus. And so we'll be gone for that. And then we'll come back. And then the following week, we're heading out to Kentucky to go see the uh, the Ark Encounter in the Creation Museum. So I'm looking forward to checking that out too. So supposedly they have a, like a life-size uh, recreation of Noah's Ark. And I think Matt said, yes, Matt said he went to the Creation Museum. You, have you guys have been to either one of these? Nope. Uh, in fact, both of those are on the bucket list. So uh, Lord willing, maybe after I retire, uh, There'll be there. It'll be something we can uh, take a look at. So, yes, I have been to the Creation Museum. I just want to apologize before you may have cut out a little bit, and I, I may have talked over saying that I thought you were going to say something else. So, you hear that on the recording? That's what happened on my end. Um, But I have been to the Creation Museum. Mm -hmm. It was when I was there. The Ark was not there yet, but um, I'm looking forward to to getting to the Ark. Uh, We know some folks that have been. And uh, I have avoided looking at their pictures because I want to take it all in fresh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of what we're we're planning to do here before the weather turns uh, a little bit cooler and makes makes a little bit harder to travel. Uh, those those are our plans. And and my one of my hobbies is photography, so I'm looking forward to taking pictures along the way. You know, when we travel now, we don't take interstates anymore. We take the back roads. So what usually will take you a shorter amount of time is going to take us a longer amount of time because I just, Lord willing, I just don't want to get on the interstate if I can help it. We took, um, we went up to Nova Scotia and uh, um, Prince Edward Island in Canada and through New Brunswick and I made the mistake of getting on the Mass Turnpike, Massachusetts Turnpike. And I think it took us three hours to go 30 miles. And I, I said to my wife, I said, that's it. I'm crossing, picking up crayon here. Give me the map. 
putting a big red X on Massachusetts. I'm never going through Massachusetts again. Cross that off the list. We'll go around. It's just so frustrating. I hate sitting in traffic. So I know, I think we're going to go ahead and get started, Steve, if you're ready, because um, I know I'm interested in, in the, to hearing about this episode. Amen. So Amen. are you yes, all sir. set? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, for those of you that maybe have missed the title of the uh, podcast, it is What Did Jesus Pray For? And uh, before we get into it, let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll dive into this thing. Father, we're thankful uh, for your goodness and your grace. We're thankful for salvation. We're thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And Lord, perchance, if there's someone that uh, is unsure of their salvation, uh, happen to be listening to this podcast, Lord, I pray that your spirit would minister to them and convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, and Lord, that they might make the most important decision that they'll ever make in their life of receiving Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. Lord, for others that are saved, God, uh, going through all kinds of struggles and trials and all kinds of things in their life, Lord, I pray that as they listen to this podcast, it might be of some encouragement to them and strength to them. And Lord, uh, realizing God in myself, there's nothing good, uh, but Lord, uh, accept the Holy Spirit of God. And so I pray that he might come forth and, and use me, uh, Lord, to be a blessing and to be able to teach and, and uh, uh, preach your word. So Lord, uh, we want to glorify you. We want to magnify you. We want to bless you. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> With the subject in mind, what did Jesus pray for? I suppose if we could find out what Jesus prayed for, it might be a, a good thing. Uh, in fact, even, I would say, even an important thing. Uh, if you're a reader of your Bible, especially in the New Testament, you've probably come across the place where Jesus Christ taught his disciples how to pray. And I think every uh, child of God, especially in their early days, ought to find someone that they can learn to pray from. Uh, maybe they just listen to them. Uh, I remember in the early days of, of being here in western New York and working at a place and had led a couple of guys to the Lord. And during the breaks and our lunch hour, we'd go up into uh, a place uh, isolated from the rest of the guys and uh, was teaching these two guys how to pray. And uh, kind of went through a list and, and um, told them just to pray as long as they could pray for of the things that they had, and I would fill in the rest of the time. And uh, obviously, the first uh, few uh, uh, tries of trying to pray and so forth, they were stilted and, and unsure of what to say, and it was very brief. But as time went on and they listened to how I pray, prayed and so forth. They got more confidence and so forth, and they learned how to pray. And uh, I would encourage anybody that is discipling somebody to take the time to teach their disciples how to pray. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. We see in our Bible that uh, Jesus went up into a mountain apart to pray. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing about it, it I, I'd, I'd really be interested to know what he prayed for. I mean, we can make supposition, but the Bible doesn't make it clear as to what 
he prayed for, but certainly it was a good uh, example for us to follow in that he went apart to pray. We ought to find some place where we can get alone, uh, at least in our own thoughts and so forth, and, and take some time to pray. Uh, we find that Jesus Christ went to the garden and uh, with his disciples went a little further and prayed, if it po- be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And here again is an example that uh, for us to surrender to the will of God and forsaking our own, let God have his way with us in whatever circumstances we're going through. And again, Jesus Christ on the cross, he asked the Father to forgive them when he was crucified. And uh, there again is another example for us to follow that we ought to forgive those who have done us wrong. But there's a place in our Bible where Jesus pours his heart out to the Father for his disciples in their presence. And I, I, I want to make that clear, that Jesus Christ did this in their presence. Uh, you take a look at the Gospel of John, and as they finish the Last Supper, uh, and Jesus washes their feet there in, uh, in chapter 13, Uh, And as they begin to go off, you'll see, I believe it's at the end of chapter 13, where they sang in hymn, and they went out into the streets, and they went out towards uh, 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 the Mount of Olives there to uh, Gethsemane. And uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16, and 17 are the things that Jesus Christ is conversing with his disciples with, and then culminating with chapter 17, where he's praying with them on the way. So with that in mind, let's pick it up in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, let's pick it up in verse 9, and we'll read from there. Jesus Christ speaking, says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those which thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee. And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will, uh, they also, whom thou hast uh, given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest uh, me before the foundation of the world. There's something special about having someone really that really prays for you uh, with some fervency, with some passion, and with sincerity. But to have Jesus Christ praying for you, that, that would really be amazing. Uh, and he's praying for his disciples here. And I don't know if you noticed it or not, but take a look in verse 20. Take a look in verse 20. He says, neither do I pray for these alone, but for them also, which uh, shall believe on me through their word, either through their written word, uh, as we have it in the Bible, or as their witness has passed down through the generations uh, where we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, according to verse 20, Jesus Christ is praying for you and for me if you're saved and born again. Uh, it's, that ought to be something that ought to, uh, you ought to be able to rejoice about and be glad about, that Jesus Christ is praying for you. Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the prayers of the saints. I, I, I depend on them. I, I, they, I thrive on them. I need them. But if I have been forgotten and no one is praying for me, this one thing I do know, that Jesus Christ is praying for me. Uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That intercession is someone praying on the behalf of someone else. And Jesus Christ is praying on our behalf. Not only is Jesus Christ praying for us, but also the Holy Spirit is praying for us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And obviously, I'm not going to go into a big thing here, but that's not talking about speaking in tongues and praying in a heavenly tongue. That's talking about the Holy Spirit actually praying for us. And it says, uh, maketh intercession for us. So he's praying for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So it's not something that we're doing for ourselves. It's something that he's doing for us. Now, since the Lord is praying for us, we should take notice of some things that the Lord is praying about, that he's praying for us about. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is that Jesus Christ is praying that the Father would keep them, keep the disciples. Take a look in... Uh, 
John chapter uh, 17 and take a look at that last part, or I guess you could say the middle part of verse 11. It says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Keep in thine own name. Uh, in other words, he's asking the Father to keep them, to protect them, to provide for them and meet their needs. But, but not only that, it, more in a spiritual sense, you'll see what I mean here in just a second. In John chapter 10, in verse 28, it says this, I have, uh, I, excuse me, I, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know, it should be a great comfort to you and anyone who believes in what we call eternal security. It should be a great comfort knowing that the Father is keeping us, that he is the one that is that is ensuring of our, of our salvation and that our destination is sure that one day we will step foot on heaven's shores, not because of our own goodness, not because of our own efforts, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And Jesus Christ is praying that the Father would keep them. Take a look in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1 and beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, uh, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Uh, here it is. We have God keeping us by his power, by the power of God and not by our own. This notion that we are responsible for maintaining our own salvation is absolutely unbiblical and ludicrous, at least for the time and day and age that we're living in right now in this church age. I'm thankful, really, I am truly thankful that I am not the one uh, depending on myself for maintaining my salvation. I'm afraid over the years I might have lost it many, many times. But I'm thankful that I have the security, and that's, that's another completely, told, totally different Bible study to go through all of the verses, but suffice it to say that we are kept by the power of God. It's good to know that we're safe in Christ through the power of the Father for us. Number two, Jesus Christ is praying that we would not be taken out of the world. Take a look in verse 15 of John chapter 17, that first part of 15. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. You know, in thinking about this, at least selfishly, and, and I must say that it is selfish, wouldn't it be nice that once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, that he took us straight to heaven? I mean, wouldn't it be great? Think of the benefits. 
we get out of this world of sin and wickedness, all the troubles that would be facing us if we were left here would be over. We'd never sin again. We'd never disappoint the Lord again. We'd never grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, those things would be, as far as I'm concerned, would be tremendous benefits. But Jesus Christ prays that the Father would leave us here in this world for us to live among the lost, among the wicked, among the ungodly. And you might ask yourself, why is that? And I submit to you that it goes to purpose. There is a reason that God leaves us here. There is something for us to do. And I submit to you again that it is a purpose that he intends for us to be salt, and he intends for us to be light in this world. Familiar passage found in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. uh, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Now, salt, in its basic form, salt has an effect on the food it comes in contact with. Light, in turn, has an effect on the room it is introduced to. So we, as salt and light, are to have an effect on the world around us. We are not supposed to live like the world lives. A Christian should not have an unrealistic expectation of uh, the reaction that the saint of God uh, receives by being salt and light. So we're supposed to have an effect. We are supposed to live in this world, and we're supposed to be different than this world. And we're supposed to have a positive believe it or not, a positive effect on this world as far as God is concerned. We are supposed to draw people to God. We're supposed to show the world that there is an alternative out there to the sin and wickedness that they're living in. Now, again, as I mentioned, as a Christian and being salt and light in this world, we can't have an unrealistic expectation We just can't think that this world is just automatically going to put their arms around us as Christians who are being salt and being light and embrace us as being this wonderful people that where have you been all my life? If you've ever been a witness and a testimony for Jesus Christ, you've ever been salt and light in this world, they don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, You've got to really expect this world to give you a hard time. And that's what I mean, this unrealistic expectation. Somehow we get this this pie-in-the-sky idea that this world is just going to fall in love with us because we have this great news. And we do have great news. But they love their sin, and they do not like to be rebuked by anybody that is trying to show them another way. 
you don't realize that the people that you are salt and light to are going to talk behind your back. They're going to call you names. They're going to create false rumors about you. They're going to make false accusations about you. Now, let's be realistic about this. And, and if the analogy holds true, this has got to be expected. If you pour salt in an open wound, what's going to happen? You're going to cry out. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt. And they're not going to like that. Uh, you, you turn on a light in a, in a darkened room where people are used to the darkness. And all of a sudden you shine that light in a, in a room, you introduce that light to that room and they're going to squint and they're going to turn away from the light. They're not going to like that intrusion in their life. What do you expect when you be trying to become salt and light in this world? They're just not going to be real happy with you. They're not going to be happy, but the command is, is that we're to be left in this world. That's what Jesus Christ prayed for, that we would be left here so that we have a purpose to be salt and to be light. Third thing, Jesus Christ is praying that God would keep them from the evil. The second half of that verse 15 says this, it says, but that thou shouldest keep them from the the evil. Now, notice how that's phrased. The evil is present, but Jesus Christ is asking the, the Father to keep them from the evil that exists in the world. Evil is still present. You, you ever notice Christian and lost alike, they seem to have this idea that somehow that God should remove all evil from the world. And I submit to you that that's an unrealistic expectation. When sin has had entered into the world with Adam and Eve, uh, by, by the way, that, that option of entering into evil and turning to evil was a choice that God gave Adam and Eve. And here again, it goes to choice. God gives us an opportunity to go to do right or to do wrong. He gives us the choice. God leaves evil in this world so that we can make a choice. A familiar passage for those that have been saved for any length of time is found in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And it goes like this, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The door of temptation is never removed. And I'm here to tell you, if, if this is a news flash to you, then, you know, cinch up your belt and hang on. Uh, this shouldn't be really a news flash to most people, though. The devil makes sin very enticing, inviting to draw us away of our own lust so that we are enticed with the sin. And therewith, the potential for sin is very relevant or very apparent in our lives or very possible. 
Take a look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians and says this in verse 1. It says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even it is as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and keep you from evil. Now, depending on how much you have fed your spirit and soul with the spiritual manna from above will determine your likelihood of giving into your lusts to the temptation and sin. Now, let me ask you a question. Before your day begins, I'm not talking about, you know, any, you know, long, uh, drawn out thing. I mean, some people have to go to work and they, they don't get up early enough to spend a, a protracted amount of time in prayer. But one of the things that ought to be near your lips and the first thing that you do and get up, you ought to ask the Lord to keep you from evil. In fact, I would suggest memorizing a verse. That verse is found in Psalm 119. Verse 133, Psalm 119, verse 133. It says this, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Let me read that one more time. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ is asking the Father to intervene on our behalf. And there is a way that the Lord can intervene when that door of temptation is opened to you. And that way is, is a way by way of escape to sidetrack the entry into that door of temptation. And you find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It says this, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Jesus Christ is praying that the Father uh, help you in that regard with temptation, that he would keep you from evil. Number four, Jesus Christ is praying that the Father would sanctify them. In verse 17, it says this, sanctify or set apart them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. In uh, Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, in verse 13 and 14, it says, looking uh, for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Here again, the Lord wants us to be clean. He wants us to be different. He puts it in, in uh, Titus as being a peculiar people.
people zealous of good works. And I want to say this, that that doesn't mean screwy, and that doesn't mean nuts. Uh, that doesn't mean, you know, going off and being all weird and, and stuff like that. I mean, living the normal Christian life will be strange enough to this world uh, as they see us practicing our faith. Just living normally for Jesus Christ will be nutty enough. I mean, going to church three times a day. I mean, you know, that that is just totally out of the norm for anyone who may even be religious. And of course, it's becoming even more of an oddity nowadays, even in Baptist circles. There are many Baptist churches that are doing away with the uh, Sunday night service. Uh, there are some that are even trying to get rid of the Wednesday night service. And so uh, being peculiar is going to services three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Uh, your neighbors see you leave with your Bible in hand and dressed up, going to church. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're nuts. You stand on a street corner and hand out gospel tracts. You go to a rock concert, as we did here some years ago, went to a Metallica concert, you know, and I was telling one of the fellows in, uh, where I worked that I, what we were going to be doing and stuff, and he says, are you crazy? Are you nuts? I said, well, I just love the Lord, and I'm just trying to let people know that there's a way of escaping hell and going to heaven, you know, and, and, and to them, that just seems so odd. You know, going to a revival meeting, you know, as Pastor Strobel has a meeting coming up here where it's going to be Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, you know, those four days in a row going to church, that is an oddity to this world. They're going to think you're crazy, but you're doing something for Jesus Christ. And it's, it's kind of the good crazy, if you know what I mean. Standing out on a street corner and lifting up your voice like a trumpet and preaching Bible verses and preaching the word of God to People either in cars passing by or st at a stoplight or in a, in, a, in a market where there's people passing by where you're proclaiming the word of God, people are going to think that you're nuts. But that is normal Christian living. And Jesus Christ is praying that the Father would sanctify his disciples, to set them apart, to become different from the world. I'll speak for myself, and, and in saying this, what separated me is basically what the text says. What cleansed me, what purified me, what made the difference for me was the Word of God, and to a lesser extent, being around God's people. You realize it says this in Psalm 119, verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Uh, my sons and I have been going down to the mission. Uh, I've been going down there probably close to 25, 28 years, something like that. And we talk to them about their lives. We preach the word of God, and then we offer a time to come and visit with us after the preaching and, and uh, to pray with them, to counsel them. It gives them an opportunity to ask questions and so forth, maybe even to lead somebody to the Lord if they're not saved. And we talk to them about getting victory and how uh, to make real changes in their lives for God. And when we tell them what they need to do to them, it just sounds so element elementary, so simple. It's almost like it's too simple. And what we tell them is that we need, they need to get back into the book 
They need to get under some sound preaching, and they need to fellowship with other believers of like mind so that they can get away from those that would pull them away from what God's trying to teach them. They need to make some changes. And uh, I have observed that those that, and, and they are few in number, who will uh, get into the Word of God and regularly, faithfully attend church and fellowship with believers make the changes that they desire. I've also seen over the years that when someone distances themselves from God's Word, the less different from the world they become. And that's a sad fact. God will sanctify you, set you apart by his word. And of course, that word is truth. Number five, Jesus Christ is praying that God would send the disciples to preach the word. Take a look in uh, verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So we first of all need to see how God sent Jesus Christ into the world. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, it says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ gives uh, the commission to the disciples in Mark chapter 15. It says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, there uh, on the Mount of Ascension, uh, Jesus Christ speaks there to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in, Ju in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We are to reach the world for Christ. Whether home or abroad, we are to reach the world for Jesus Christ. I, I, I want you to understand, we are not to force, coerce, manipulate, or trick people into believing. But by the persuasion of the scriptures and convicting power of the Holy Spirit, lead men, women, boys, and girls to Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're not to put a gun to their head and say, believe or die, or anything along that line. We're not supposed to use methods that, that kind of do shortcuts and so forth to try to get people to save so that you can count how many numbers you've, you've uh, led to the Lord in a week's time or a month's time or a year's time. Uh, I, I was listening to a preacher here not too long ago, and he had this observation, and I thought it was very profound. During the uh, Philadelphia church period, back during the time of Moody and Sunday and, and uh, Mordecai Ham and some of these other preachers, Finney, when they went and preached, they, they would have sometimes a two-week, three-week, four-week meeting. And for two or three weeks, they would preach on nothing but sin. And they would tell how wicked and ungodly and unholy everybody in that auditorium was. 
they would go for weeks and weeks at a time and do nothing but plow the ground and convince people of how holy God is and how wicked they were. And then that that final week, they would begin to show that there was a God that was up there in heaven as wicked as they were. They were still loved by him, and that love was demonstrated at the cross of Calvary that Jesus Christ went to that cross to pay for their sins so that they wouldn't have to pay for it. There was a, a, a way for them to be able to enjoy the pleasures of heaven forever and have their sins completely washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that message was proclaimed, and men, men and women, uh, we're not talking about, you know, little kids. We're talking about grown men, doctors, lawyers, businessmen, walking down a sawdust trail, receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That went on up and through uh, the, the uh, prohibition and so forth. And then uh, along around World War II, it changed a little bit. The, the, the message was no longer going and trying to get grown men it was going out there trying to get young people. We got a campus crusade for Christ and on through the Billy Graham era and so forth. All of that was aimed towards young people, uh, people in their teens and people uh, in their 20s and maybe early 30s. And there was a great uh, a harvest of souls of people at that time. Now, I'm not saying that grown people didn't get saved during that time. I'm not saying that at all. But the emphasis was now being put upon young people, getting young people to be saved. That went all the way up into the 60s and maybe the early part of the 70s. And then all of a sudden that focus switched again and it started going to kids with a big influx of the, the bus ministries and so forth. And, and now the gospel was being geared towards kids. And here with the gospel towards kids, you, you know, unless you're in the hills of Carolina, you really don't scare the kids with talking about hell and talking about how wicked they were. I mean, you tell them that they're sinners and so forth, but you tell them God loves them. And if God loves them, why don't you trust Jesus Christ, their savior? But what we're doing now with that focus being on child evangelism, we're trying to take child evangelism and trying to reach adults with child evangelism afraid to say that somebody's going to go to hell, afraid to preach on sin, and thus you have this modern movement out there with easy believism, one, two, three, believe after me, and I understand that the gospel is simple. I understand that God made it simple enough that a child could could receive it, but the, the way that God dealt with people, he said he dealt with them by through the Holy Spirit, convicting them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. You don't hear anything about the love of God in there at all until after they realize that they're bad enough that they deserve hell and are going to go there unless they receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That persuasion, that easy believism has gotten out of control. And we need to get back to. And of course, you know, you're you're not going to to now nowadays try to show people that they're wicked sinners because they've been been desensitized if you will or softened to the point where they can't handle hard preaching 
you know, uh, you, you talk to somebody today, you talk to the millennials today and you start talking in a hard, uh, uh, rough tone and they just, they, they want to have their safe space. They, they can't handle that. And that's because we have taken the gospel and we've, I'll say, dumbed it down to the point where people have not heard the true gospel, the death, the, the, for our sins, the burial, and then the positive, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It's three quarters negative to one part positive. And we've taken all the negative out of it and we've left them with just the positive. And if you love Jesus, and if, if you realize how much Jesus loved, you just receive him as your Savior. And they don't see any problem with what they're dealing with in their own religion, in their own version and a mindset of what Christianity is all about. They have no clue of what's going on. And so we're here to, to proclaim the gospel. You know, I think, and this is just my own opinion, I know there are other countries that do this and, and, you know, there'll probably be a lot of opposition to this, but I think there ought to be a two year mandatory military service for everybody. Once they get 20, 21 years old, two years mandatory service. And for this specific reason, so that they could be reamed out and yelled at by somebody so they can toughen up. I'll tell you what, that military service that I went through, if it did nothing more for me than to realize that I'm not the center of the universe and that my boss can expect something from me that I may find uncomfortable, but he's the boss and he can tell me what I need to do or I just don't work for him. And we need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So Christians need to toughen up. And everybody out in this world needs to toughen up in order so that they can receive the gospel and not think that we're, 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 we're committing doomsday uh, preaching on everybody by just simply telling them that they need to receive Jesus Christ and that their sin is going to send them to hell. Uh, enough for that. I could go on for that for a long time. But number six, Jesus Christ prays that the Father would make them one. Take a look at verse 21. That they may be, uh, may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Uh, brethren, I, I'm here to tell you that we are one in Christ. All believers are in one body, which is called the church. And I do not ascribe to the Baptist bride I believe that there is one, and I hate this word, universal church of every born-again believer, regardless of denomination, if they are truly born again, they are part of one body, which is called the church. Colossians chapter 1, in verse 18, says this, and he, talking about Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In uh, verse uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Now who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, it says this, For as we are many members, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members of one another. Uh, We are called today in this modern Christianity that we're facing and have been facing for a number of years. We have this call for unity, for all Christians to come together in love, putting away differences. That sounds good, doesn't it? For us all just to have grace with each other and to be unified, to be, be one together, one unified body of Christ. But I don't believe the Lord expects any doctrinal compromise for the sake of unity. Truth is more important than a sentimental kumbaya. Remember what it said in verse 17? It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'm here to tell you that emotion is, does not supersede the word of God. I believe that the, word, the Lord is referring to unity of purpose in spite of differences. And what I mean by that, if you read, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. I believe I can say this with, with, with confidence. Uh, the four of us, Eric, Pastor Strobel, and Matt and I, uh, uh, may have uh, we have different personalities, yet we're one in doctrine and we're one in purpose. Uh, I, the, the, those purposes could be as basic as this: being uh, to bring pleasure to God, to live for God in the midst of a wicked world, to witness for God uh, to a lost world, and to fight against the enemies of the Lord. Uh, Paul puts an emphasis on doctrine, sound doctrine, uh, so many times that the Christians can't ignore it. Um, let me let me give you some example here. Uh, it says this uh, in Acts chapter two, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. I'm going to give you just a, a read a number of verses here just to give you the, the 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 emphasis I believe the apostle Paul puts on doctrine in Romans it says this but thank but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you also in Romans now I beseech you brethren mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. In Timothy, First Timothy, it says this: uh, As I besought uh, thee to abide still at Ephesus, uh, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Uh, 
also in First Timothy, for whoremongers, uh, for them who defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Uh, another one in First Timothy, uh, if thou put uh, the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, wherein to thou hast attained. I've got a few others, but I don't want to take any more time. You get the idea. Paul puts doctrine in a preeminence, and you notice in any one of those things, Paul talks about loving one another. Paul talks about getting along with one another, putting our differences away, but not at the expense of doctrine. And those that are calling for unity are asking us as Bible-believing Christians, to put doctrine aside for the sake of unity, and I don't believe God would have us do that. What unifies us is the doctrine, and we need to teach good, sound doctrine, and I personally think that what we're teaching here on uh, That's in the Bible and what we uh, uh, teach in our respective churches is that sound doctrine. All right, last of all, number seven. Jesus Christ is praying that the Father would bring them home to heaven. Take a look at verse 24. It says this in the first part of the verse. It says, Father, I will that ye are, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Of course, we have promises that that's exactly what Jesus Christ is going to do. In John chapter 14, Verses 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. One more verse here on this point. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, I want to stop here and pause for just a second and ask a question. Why does the Lord pray this? Why does the Lord pray this? And I want you to take a look there again in that verse, in verse 24. He says this, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, purpose, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Jesus Christ wants us to see the glory that the Father has given him, to look upon that transfigured Christ. Uh, we're given description of that, but that's exactly what Job was looking for. Job is looking for that in Job chapter 19, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin's wor skin worms destroy this body, Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. That description is pretty amazing. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it says this, His head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet were like undefined brass, as if they had burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. 
and he had on his right hand, uh, in his right hand, seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. You know, when we get up there, we're going to see this transfigured Jesus Christ. And obviously, you know, as anyone that gets up there, they're going to bow and they're going to close their eyes and they're going to just utter, you know, be in utter shame and, and, and adoration to God and, and as far as his holiness is concerned. But there will be a time when we'll be able to see him. And closer examination, we're going to be able to see the pierced hands and feet uh, that he has that will be a reminder to us of what Jesus Christ did for us here on this earth. And we're going to shout, and we're going to praise him, and we're going to glorify him, and we're going to say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and glory and majesty and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to be able to worship him with all the angels and with all the saints that have gone before us. And it's going to be absolutely wonderful and marvelous. I look forward to that time. Uh, there's a verse there in Philippians says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Amen to that. Amen to that. Now, as we close this thing, the prayer that Jesus Christ offered for his disciples, I submit to you as a pattern for us that we might make intercession for others. I want you to notice something about the, the prayers that Jesus Christ offered to the Father for his disciples. The Lord magnifies the positive even though he knew all the sins and errors of their past. Intercession is not a bash session, but rather to pray that the Father would move and work on another's behalf. We should pray for others that, number one, that they should be secure in their faith. Number two, that they should be salt and light in the world. Number three, that they would be kept from evil. Number four, that they should be sanctified through the word. Number five, that they would be witnesses to this world. Number six, that they would be one in Christ and to love one another. And number seven, that they would be confident of their home going, being confident and looking forward to that blessed hope. We ought to intercede for others. And that's a pattern that Jesus Christ has left us that we could make intercession for others by doing, by praying these seven things that the Lord prayed for his disciples and for us who have believed and trusted on Jesus Christ through their word. Guys, thanks a lot for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Steve. You know, one of the Benefits of doing the podcast is that I get to hear all this great uh, teaching and preaching, and and it's uh, it's, uh, a, it's a great pick me up because it's you know it's not a regular church day, so I get a little bit more, another boost, another boost along the way. Amen. But it, that's good stuff, and uh, you know you, you could have a little book on that. You know the, these seven points. Put out some kind of publication here, but I, uh, amen. The um. You know, you, you touched on the point about um, the negative and how no one wants to hear the negative. Or, and, and even we as Christians sometimes are a little cowed 
from from talking about the negative. And and there's such an emphasis, don't you think, now on polit- being politically correct? And you can't say, uh, you know, everybody's. There was an old book out. I think it was maybe from the seventies. I'm okay. You're okay. Every, you know, like everything goes now. There there is no yeah. sin anymore. And and who, yeah. and if there is, who are you to judge? You know what I mean? The whole thing, like many people that don't have any idea or knowledge of the Bible, that's one thing they, that you can count they'll pull out. Well, the Bible says you shouldn't judge, so why are you judging me, you know? Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing. And and there's there's such it's it's almost like a sin to talk about that <laughs> there there are things the Bible does identify as sin. You know. Amen. And I think folks just have a such a hard time with that. Um and and as you said, understandable. I liked your analogy on the on the salt and the light. You know, if, if people are used to darkness, and you flip the light on, <laughs> turn out the light. You know, <laughs> who turned the yeah, light on? That was good. So I appreciate the lesson. Thank you, Pastor Stroll. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I read that book when I was a late teenager. Um, I'm okay. You're okay. No, did you? Thomas J. Harris. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some guy gave it to me. I was working at a restaurant where it was just crazy um that's all I can say. <laughs> but i'll tell you what that book helps people to do um i'm not saying this is a good thing i'm not this will be the opposite but it helps people to accept themselves mm-hmm. and then it helps them accept everybody else but the problem is you know we're trying to make people feel good about themselves but it all comes to an end even if we do it all comes to an end when they die and wind up in hell yep. and, and, and i tell people you know the way to feel good about yourself is you first got to feel bad about yourself because you got to recognize as brother C was saying that you are a lost sinner. You deserve to go to hell. And, um, if you, in order to get saved, you got to then repent of that sin, repent of uh, who you are and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. Mm -hmm. Um, boy, the Lord sure did cover a lot of ground in that prayer in John Mm -hmm. 17, didn't he? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Uh, let me just pick out one thing and make mention of it. As Brother Steve was talking about doctrine, Second um, Timothy three sixteen, of course, talks about the Bible being uh, given by inspiration of God. And it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it tells you four things that the inspired Word of God is profitable for, and the first thing that He gives is doctrine. Right. And that's the Lord's primary reason for giving us his word by inspiration. Now, we're going to use in our personal lives uh, the other things probably three times as much. You, get, you know, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But they're all built upon a foundation of doctrine. If you don't have your doctrine straight, um, it's hard to get corrected right. Um, it's hard to get reproved or to, to take it, and it's hard to receive instruction in righteousness. And, of course, Steve's right on line when he talks about the Lord doesn't intend us to sacrifice good doctrine for unity. Um, Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Mm-hmm. I'm going to cite you three um, passages from John, three verses really, but I'll give in a couple places a passage that lead up to it because this is the Lord Jesus Christ and and his effect upon the people. So first is from John 7, starting in verse 40. And it said, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard the saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet, talking about Jesus. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So here they are, all having different opinions about 
who Jesus is and what should be true about the Messiah and the Christ, etc. And the next verse says, so there was a division among the people because of him. Mm-hmm. True doctrine actually does, it unites the people that believe it, but it divides them from the people that don't. Similarly, in John nine sixteen, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. They got a doctrinal argument with Jesus Christ. Hmm. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. So although the Lord's praying for unity among his people, he understands that the very nature of his ministry is going to divide some people. He was not um, promoting some big, gigantic ecumenical movement where everybody just gets together in this one world religion. Well, that's what the Antichrist is going to get him. So he'll get them all together in one group so he can swallow them in one bite. Hmm. Finally, John 10. This is real interesting. Jesus is talking to him. Well, let me just pick it up in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So there is that unity that he's praying about in John 17. But he goes on, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. So what's the result of the Lord's desire to bring these sheep together in one fold and his prayer for unity in John 17 and all that. Well, John 10, 19, there was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. So here in John 7 and John 9 and John 10, the Lord's doing his ministry. And as much as he'd like everybody to be together on the same page doctrinally, the ones that chose not to be, um, they didn't get to enjoy that unity in Jesus Christ. There was a division because of him, and they were also divided from a close fellowship with them that they could add. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Yeah. Amen. The, um, the, the point you made, I think it was point three about that God would keep, keep them from evil mm-hmm. or from the evil. I mean, that's something that, um, I find, uh, is still present with me <laughs> that we all know, do <laughs> that, that, you know, that, and it's, you know, I, I really do. I, I have to examine myself every you know, frequently and to see what, you know, what am I doing? This is not right, you know, and I have to re-gauge and recalibrate and, and, and set things right again. Um, you know, so the idea that being a Christian is like, oh, we're, we're all set now. Accepted Christ as our Savior and, and uh, it's good to go. It's still, it's still, you know, I need that daily cleansing, that washing the water by the word and Amen. prayer and, and you just, you just can't let, as you talked about, you can't let those things just go. Mm-hmm. And, um, I do try to start up in the morning prayer and, and reading my Bible before I can, you know, and it's, and it's easier now that I'm retired, but I still, you know, I can be lazy. I, I have a tendency to <laughs> drift away and, uh, so I read that Proverbs for the day, and then I try to, you know, as I'm reading the Bible through, try to get a few chapters in in the morning. And I'll tell you, it, you know, 
I don't know what they say. Things go better with milk, but things go better with the Bible. And, mm-hmm. and God then just, you know, I'll do that later. That's a, for me, that's a bad idea. Better. <laughs> yeah, amen. You know, one of the things that you mentioned there, as, as important as it is to start the day and to uh, be cognizant of the temptations that are around us and refuse them and, and reject them, uh, just as important as that is, is to realize that if you do fall into sin, that you need to recalibrate, re, you know, get the thing back straight again, put it back on track. Too many people get this mentality of this mindset that, oh, I've screwed up, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and they'll let themselves go for a longer period yeah. of time before they finally get to this point where, oh, I got to get right with God, you know, and then they make this big step. Instead of taking the the smaller step, which is easier, <laughs> yeah. and and do First John one nine and get the thing taken care of, is okay. I need I need to get this thing back right mm-hmm. on a short term basis, as opposed to a, a protracted basis where now you've got all kinds of things that are multiplied upon itself, and then getting right with God is is a bigger production than than what it needs to be. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, thanks again. Much appreciated yeah. for. Uh, I know you you guys are both busy you, you know steve you're working that full-time job and and doing all these other things and pastor strobel you have full-time ministry there at the church and so i appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast as you have done for years now and so amen it's a real blessing well, praise the lord amen amen thanks for having us yes amen all right guys well if nothing else we're gonna we're gonna just listen to this uh our theme song here, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Even Amen so come. All right. Lord willing, see you next time. Many All right. will meet their doom. Trumpets will, Trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. Going where, going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. Going where going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies, going where, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail 
at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.